is Nina Lockwood, founder and director of Intuitive Interim and Executive Search. I'd like to welcome you to the first episode of my podcast, Intuitive Insights, where key industry leaders will join me to share their stories, their view of the world and their own personal inspirations. I am absolutely delighted to welcome Catherine O'Brien, Customer Experience Director from TransPennine Express as my very first guest. Catherine is a veteran of the UK rail industry and one of the most passionate, hardworking people I know and an absolute joy to spend time with. I do hope you enjoy. So hello, Catherine. It's lovely to see you and a huge thank you for agreeing to do the, um, the very first Intuitive Insights. So it's our podcast series uh, where we're speaking to senior people in the rail industry, finding out a bit more about you, why, do you, why you joined the industry, what job you're doing and, and some thoughts, your own insights from working day in, day out in this fabulous industry that we're in. So first and foremost, tell us about the role that you're currently doing. Okay, so hi. Hi, Nina. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, yeah, so I'm Catherine, Catherine O'Brien, and I'm Customer Experience Director at TransPennine Express. Um, the best way to describe what I'm doing at the moment is I'm responsible for all aspects of, of running the railway, if you will. So, so TPE's delivery to customers. So I would set the vision and I execute that vision um, and delivery through my fabulous team. I've got, I've got quite a wide portfolio when, when I come to describe it. Um, so it's across station, so management of the station estate, managing conductors across 11 train crew depots, um, managing relationships, so supply partner relationships with people that deliver a service on our behalf. So um, catering, cleaning, security, rail replacement. I, I look after customer relations, so any contact with customers sits in my team across a variety of channels, including all the social media channels. I look after the property team and, and the estate and, and therefore the, the relationship with Network Rail. I look after communications, PR, media, and I think that's about it, internal and external communications. So um, it's, a, it's just a little bit. So everything you, everything you think of front facing and, and touching customers is, is, is in me. Um, and my team and we deliver wow. the railway. Catherine, that is a massive job. Flipping heck. I had no idea actually that those were all the things. I think when you look at your yeah. title, customer experience director, then you obviously automatically think about the frontline teams because they've got you know that interaction with the with the customers that are traveling on the railway. But it's everything that sits behind that as well, isn't it? Absolutely. So, how many people have you got in your team? How many people do you lead? So um, I lead just short of 600 people. Right. Um, and I do that obviously through a leadership team, which is quite lean when you, when you say out loud the, the number of, of um, leaders that we've got in the team. But um, they're all very committed, very passionate. And I'm kind of doing my dream job, Nina, because I love the big people stuff. I love leading teams um it's it's what i strive to do it's what i've done most of my career 
Um, but yeah, this is this is kind of my dream job. Right, fantastic. So just speaking of your career then, tell me a bit more about that. Go go back to the beginning because I'm really interested. This always fascinates me when I speak to people in this industry. I'm really interested to know how you got into rail in the first place. What what oh, your career? Yeah, well, actually, my career started when I was 13 in customer service because I, I got a job in our local chemist in Castleton in Rochdale, where I lived, Whitaker's Chemist. And it was this oldie worldy beautiful shop that, um, yeah, kind of my career was born, born there. I did that for a few years and then I went to work at Asda when I was 16 and then um, all my life I'd wanted to be a teacher. Um, and my dad died in the middle of my A-levels and I didn't want to go away and leave my mum and my little brother. So I got a job in the local bank, the Yorkshire, the Yorkshire Bank in Rochdale. And that was that was a really fabulous job doing the, the service to customers on the counter. Met some of my oldest friends, um, did that for about four years. And, and I was actually going out with this guy at the time. And his dad worked at um, Castleton Works. He was um, a maintenance engineer or something. He said, oh, why don't you join British Rail? And all my friends thought I was crazy that I'd gone from this fabulous, quite glamorous job in this yeah. bag to this quite unsexy, um, appealing job in, in um, British Railways. And I did, and I left the bank and I joined um, central services it was at the time rail housing crew or it was a trek every day from from Rochdale but I went to be a finance clerk um, little did I know that that I just joined this this role that was not front face and I don't know don't know what I was thinking at the time what bank and finance were the link I guess yeah. and I hated that job oh my goodness it was awful and that lasted, oh, about three or four months. And at the time in British Railways days, you got this national um, vacancy list. It was, it was so heavy, you could hardly pick it up. But there was jobs up and down the country that you could apply for. And I saw a job um, at Manchester Airport before it had opened. So they were trying to set up a team um, in 1992 to, to kind of, um, develop what customer service would look like at this brand new station and um, I, I was really I was successful and I got that job I was the customer liaison manager it was um, at Manchester Airport and it opened in 1993 and I was part of the team the founding team that opened the station um, with just two platforms back then and obviously it's grown beyond belief but look back with fondness because I'm now it's part of my portfolio now I'm managing Manchester Airport Station all these years later and I never looked back so that was that was kind of my move into running the railway and being at the sharp end if that's what you can call it um, you know being operational as well and I went on to do um lots of roles from there but but all of them running the railway right um i went on to be the station manager at the airport then i became an area customer service manager so managing lots of stations and then train crew i worked for first group the first time around in first northwestern and i was one of the three general managers that that managed um i managed lanks and cumbria so i had train crew depots 
right across the north really um managing everything so you were a mini md if, if you like so managing drivers conductors stations delivery to customers and then when the split happened in 2004 so it became Transpennine express and northern i chose to stay with northern and i stayed there for eight years before i moved to to Transpennine Express so and I did I did some great jobs in Northern I was as one of the stakeholder managers I went on to become head of external relations and stations did an area director's role for a time and then thought oh, I fancy something a little bit different and I went to I joined TP in 2012 to um, be the head of franchise development which was ultimately stakeholders but but talking to stakeholders about timetables and um, the investment and, and the like. And then I was fortunate enough to, to get this role whilst I was in Transpennine and um, the rest is history. Yeah, fantastic. That's a great story. And it's quite interesting how many people um, that I get to speak to actually came from a banking background. Yeah. Um, because I did too. You did, yeah. And and it is really weird how people's kind of careers start somewhere and then lead them somewhere else. And I, but I can imagine it was a bit of a shock for you, for your friends, and your family, when you announced that. Well, I'm Yorkshire Bank, and this kind of you know, as you say, quite a you know, like high status career banking, um, to go into British Rail, which yeah. was a very different beast back then to to what the to today's franchises holder franchise. Yeah are so um so a big step but clearly something about your intuition even though that first role perhaps wasn't a good fit in terms of your customer facing bit it got your foot in the door yeah and something in your instinct must have told you that there was opportunity ahead best thing i ever did obviously it was um you know it's been the making of me and i've had a i've had an amazing career in this industry absolutely incredible and could almost write a book about you know some of the the change I've seen some of the people that I've met it's it's been well a huge huge part of my life because I've done it now for nearly 30 years so yeah, I've got lots of stories to yeah, tell yeah, I bet. yeah there's some people out there thinking no don't write a book don't <laughs> and I feel really old as well because you know there's people that, that I work with now that I used to mentor way back then there's there's, there's someone in TPE that that um yeah I looked after when he was a young graduate so yeah people tend not to leave that's the other thing and I just I just wish we could attract a more diverse audience to to railways we're getting better at it we've got a lot more work to do in that arena but I don't even know what the stat was for when I joined British Railways, but it surely wasn't, it certainly wasn't 20% of, of females like it is today, it was more like 10. Yeah. So, so I have seen it grow, but just not grow fast enough. Um, and, it's, and it's such a fascinating industry and there's so many opportunities. People, what, they, they come and they never leave once, once they fall in love with it like me. So I wish I've got I've still got some some work to do on on that. I think you're absolutely right. So I've only been in the industry for eight years, and I I have definitely seen shift in terms of diversity, not just in, you know in terms of gender, but across the piece. Um, but we have got a huge amount of work to do, and we might come back to that in a little bit. 
So you mentioned change, you mentioned, you know, in that 30 year career, you've seen a massive amount of change already. Um, would it be fair to say that all of that change maybe just kind of pales into insignificance a little bit in terms of what we're about to go into? Um, because we, we are, we're kind of in this situation, obviously, with the rest of the, the world economy, where we're having to really review what we do and how we do it. Um, so many people, and I was, I was on a conference call yesterday, a webinar, um, with Chris Heaton Harris was speaking, the rail minister, and he, he repeated a number of times how amazing the rail industry has been in its response to the pandemic. The people within the industry have been incredible, and the people on the front line in particular, who have kept, kept the nation moving and kept the key workers in work, um, and obviously being key workers themselves. So all of this change we're going through leads us to a kind of position where we've got an opportunity to be different moving forward. What do you think are the opportunities for the industry? Um, what should we be doing differently? And if I could give you, if I could get my magic wand out and for what you would like to see different in the industry moving forward, what would they be? Yeah. Oh, you make some some really pertinent points, Nina. I've never known um, change like it. And you know, at the start of the pandemic, we were we were so grateful that that we were going to be supported by government in terms of you know customer numbers dropped off overnight. And whilst the world and the nation was running for cover. Um, you know, we, we were having to grapple with what it meant to be a key worker and, you know, just understanding what a lifeline we, we were, we are to, to lots of people. So um, we, that firmly um, landed and, and we, were, we, we worked day and night in terms of those very early days and weeks to, to respond. Um, and that needed, that needed a, a, a strong head and, and some, some real confidence both for people and people using the railway for our own people that it was safe to come to work and, and we had to grapple with all kinds of things. So um, that, that moment defined change forever as we know it um, and franchising that we know and love is gone and, and it's gone forever. It went back in, in March when the emergency measure agreements were, were introduced but now we've got some real opportunities to make a difference in rail and um, we almost need to keep the best bits from the privatised railway, particularly investment and the innovation that, that privatisation brought. Um, you know, we were, in, in the last 12 months, we've delivered half a billion pounds worth of brand new trains that the North was crying out for because we were the most crowded um, of any train operator and we were on the cusp of delivering that um, performance and stabilising it needed to after a very difficult um, timetable change in December and we've got to and, and customers went overnight so um, we've got the investment um, we do need a new model so we're looking at you know probably a central strong guiding mind um, but whatever that looks like, we, we know that local devolution is good too and local people running railways in the north has been a proven success. So I think we've got to capitalise on that. 
and um, it also needs strong leadership and, and clearly you would look to, to people managing that in the talks to, to deliver that on behalf of um, the government but what would I like to see um, for me we've absolutely got to rebuild confidence in railways and and we want and we need desperately customers to return um, some of that will rely on trust and we know the focus has changed from us being very punctual reliable can I get a seat is it value from winning my ticket to a, a brand new world of how safe is it and I mean by safe I mean how clean is my environment are other customers going to be wearing masks? Are there social distancing measures in place? So um, we've absolutely got to rebuild that confidence. We've started that, um, but, but we want customers to return. We're desperate to, to be able to, to build back the business and, and the economy needs it, frankly. So that would be probably wish number one. Okay. Um, I think the other thing is, it, we're in such a transformation and such a changing world. We all need to embrace change and that can be hard because change is frightening for lots of people. And in, particularly in this industry, we're quite steeped in how we've always done things. So trade unions have a huge part to play in the future of transformation and they are quite key to, to making some of this happen. And that there's an absolute place for trade unions. I'm a big advocate but we've got to adapt to a changing environment. We've got to adapt to, to a different customer proposition, the way we retail. We've got to be more agile. We've got to think differently. And we've also got to simplify things in, in parts, particularly where tickets are concerned. So the need to embrace change and do it quickly and I say easily, but I don't think it's going to be easy, but, but um, it's got to be done. So I want everyone on board with that. That would be my wish. And then for me, um, it's got to be, it's, an, it's a great opportunity, but it has to be um, a more customer focused model, which does allow Tox to, to still innovate, but be agile um, and deliver a value for a value proposition for government and, and that can often be a delicate balance but um yeah we've got to, we've got to balance the whole thing but it's got to put customers at the heart of it and, and hopefully that will happen through the new um guiding mind absolutely key to that and it's one of the reasons why um why I came into the industry in the first place. I think when I did my research into different industry sectors um, just about eight years ago uh, now, one of the things that I realised was that the, the rail industry was starting to um, very tentatively move towards an acceptance that it was actually delivering a service. I think we've got an industry that had been historically full of people who were engineers who um, liked trains, who liked heavy engineering, um, and, and you know, had kind of followed, in a lot of cases, followed a family tradition of working in the railway as well. And then there was this kind of very, as I say, quite tentative, like, Ooh, right, okay, are they passengers or are they customers? Um, who are they comparing us with? Do we need to think about how we do things? And, and actually, it's not, it's not about the train, it's about the fact that we are taking people, customers, from A to B and delivering a service. Yes. Um, you're, so, you're so spot on with that, Nina, because in 
um, I did a customer service speech. It, it's a while ago now in, in our control room. And I said, you, you have to think of yourselves as a service industry that just happens to run trains, not the other way around, which we can get trapped in because it's so complicated and, you know, difficult and um, needs a logistically challenging. But yeah, that, that mindset. And, and obviously that's my role in, in our business is to be that thought provoking have we have we done everything we can in it with our customer goggles on yeah yeah absolutely um thank you for that i will i will dust off my magic wand it's charging at the minute <laughs> a bit overused um but i will make sure that i'll do my very best to grant your wishes um <laughs> what do you think the risks are though catherine so we've kind of we know what we'd like um, and, and definitely the rebuilding the confidence, the embracing change, accepting that it's got to happen. So let's just get on with it um, and having that customer focused model moving forward. Um, what are the risks? What might trip us up? Yeah, so I've already touched on this. The fact is none of this is easy. Um, it's incredibly complex, both planning a railway timetable if you will but then actually executing that and running the railway particularly with some of the historic infrastructure so you know the need for investment has never been more real particularly um in the north and we've got to we've got to be able to do this quickly um it within budget you know that there there's still a lot of work to do to to maximize the investment that's been made in the new fleets for example and we do need to build back better, and that's clearly a, um, an industry strap line, but we need to build back carefully, particularly when we're planning a timetable. And there are so many interdependencies and lots of competing views. And, you know, a good example of where you've got to almost do it from the resource base up would be um, at, we've had a long period of time where we haven't been able to train any drivers. Yeah. Um, you know, seven, eight months of, and when we've got, you know, fifty plus brand new train drivers that are that are, you know, joining our business but need training, and it takes an awful long time. And we do have a plan now. If I had to agree that as part of, you know, a, a COVID plan with with trade unions and the like, and that is underway. But I, I think it's about us all being honest as operators about what is actually doable because there'll be lots of aspirations to grow this this railway and that's right and proper and we've already made massive strides to do that. But we've got some infrastructure challenges, particularly in around the central Manchester belt, and we've got some resourcing challenges and we've got to be real. So let's build back. We've absolutely nailed the last seven months in terms of train service performance it's in the high 90s um so we know we can do it but it's very fragile and and you put too much pressure whether it's trying to fit too much in because on paper the graph looks like it's workable (laughs) but you you, you 30 second dwell times at stations are can be a challenge at times so so let's just be honest about what is doable and, and be careful until we've got the the you know the infrastructure in place and and um, the capacity that's needed so that would they would probably be my two risks that I would flag yeah that makes complete sense and I love the idea of building back better but building back carefully 
yeah just got this amazing opportunity to rewrite how we do things yes absolutely the, the 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 most horrendous idea is that we don't use that opportunity to its fullest we've got to learn from the last six or seven months we've got so much that that we've done that's been brilliant and we've got to harness that and learn from it and change the way we think sometimes because it's so traditional we've already talked about that as as you know our approach as an industry but yeah and that leads me nicely to my next question um, in terms of learning so I think if I said that it has been an interesting year so far <laughs> that's probably the biggest understatement you'll hear all day um, what have you learned I think you know there's been lots of change there's been lots of things that we've had to do differently um, but for you both as, as Catherine but also as Catherine O'Brien customer experience director for TPE what has the what has this pandemic shown you what have you learned what have you enjoyed what have you um, missed what have you done differently all of those things what's how has it made you different how are you behaving differently yeah so wow yeah certainly so many answers to that question but um we know customer priorities have changed and um you know people have very quickly had to to transition into a world of working from home um that 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 almost had to happen overnight and i include me and and our business in that so um yeah that that would be the biggie really because for me I, I i never worked from home and it wasn't something that that necessarily was done quite widely in our business but um and there are some benefits to working from home there absolutely are particularly anyone that that used to see me dashing out in the morning and coming back looking bedraggled at night when i'd been been on a million trains and humping my bags around so so there's definitely some of that but you definitely miss the interaction and and you know the they used to call it the the Catherine queue in in the office in Bridgewater House where we worked because you know it and that that's how I love spending my days just someone popping the head in asking a question helping somebody and having those those off the record conversations that you I miss those I miss that the the, the hustle and bustle of, of the office I guess and I'm sure lots of other people do I don't think I'll ever take things for granted again in life generally and I think it's it's brought some real reflection hasn't it um I had a big birthday in lockdown um and I, I was planning a you know lots of lots of great things across the year I've not been able to do any of them but I had a, a big birthday party on zoom so so you know we, we found ways of adapting um I've met some of my neighbors and I've lived here over 20 years and never met some of my neighbors until now <laughs> Um, because I, I anyone that knows me I do spend an awful lot of time probably too much time in the office and and for me it's been able to get that balance um that's not to say I haven't been out and about I, I we've needed to you know we can't expect our frontline people to come to work and and run the railway without without leaders being out and about and that's really important to me um so I have spent quite a bit of time out and about safely obviously um on the network 
Um, but yeah, I guess you miss people and it becomes very functional, doesn't it, when, you, when you're dialing into Zoom calls and, and you, you're just on topic and, and you miss that, that surrounding conversation, I guess. Um, yeah, lot, lots, of, lots of things have changed for me across, across the, the few months. Um, and we'll never go back to how we were operating before. And that's, that's the other thing we're grappling with as, as an industry. We know people won't go back to work five days a week and buy weekly season tickets. We've got to innovate and find more flexible ways of adapting to the new, the new norm. Yeah, most definitely. One of the things that um, when I'm speaking to, to clients about their, their businesses and what they think are the skills and the talent that we're going to need moving forward into what becomes the new normal, um, then marketing and communication keeps popping up because we will need to adapt and we will need to be offering something to a different customer segment than we were offering before because as, as you've said, we're not going to have the, the weekly season tickets because people are not going to spend five days a week in the office. So what else will they use the trains for? Um, and I know that there's been certain certain talks that have reported higher usage at the weekends yes. um, because there's more leisure travel. And so people are kind of, of using the train more for that. But I think that whole kind of, yes, let's be innovative. Let's think about how people will use the train in the future and how we can kind of make sure that we're part of whatever the new normal looks like. It's exciting. Yeah, no, it is. And, you know, that that's a brilliant opportunity for, for our business because, you know, 70% of our of our market is, is a leisure market. So 70% of our revenue comes from people using us to visit family, friends, go on holiday, visit cities. It's, you know, we've we've we want those customers to come back. Um, yeah. So when I when I think about um, people who um, who are inspiring, people who are doing the job that you're doing day in, day out, leading a team of people in the railway to keep delivering the best service that we can, to win the customers back, to increase the trust and the confidence that they've got in traveling. It always occurs to me, so, so where do you get your inspiration from? So you're out there, you're kind of giving it all out, but where do, who fills you back up again? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I've had the privilege to work alongside some brilliant, fabulous leaders in my career, um, many of whom I'm still, I'm still in touch with today and still follow them and still totally inspired by them. I guess the common thread in, in those leaders when I think about that is that every single one of them's believed in me and given me an opportunity. And without those people, doing that I wouldn't be who or what I am today and you know I've got a lot to thank them for in life really um, they've all been very passionate um, driven but yet they've all been been able to empathize and and I like to think that they're the they're their absolute they are the absolute qualities that that I look to be in a leader and it's about being able to bring out the best in people, build strong teams. And that's about trust, empowerment, creating your own culture. So having a vision, but understanding, you know, in my team, everyone needs to understand the part they play in, in executing the vision and, and delivering 
for customers and and that's what gets me out of bed in the morning um I love it I just absolutely love it because I love people and and then you think about you know I think about the role models when I was growing up my parents you know my mum had three jobs my dad had two jobs they they were such hard-working people and um they've they've obviously you know they've I've obviously got some something from that Um, yeah and I did you know I've worked there was a sweet spot in my career where a a team came together um and we had we had a fabulous leader and he bought lots of ethos from um his career as a professional athlete and and you know all that that team ethos that that he developed when he was an athlete and he brought that and we became a really highly performing team because it was about we were all equal we all you know we all looked after each other we all covered each other's backs and I think he brought the best out of us in 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 people and we did things we never thought we could do and that that's pretty fabulous isn't it that someone can do that for you and I like to think that I I can do that for others really yeah. That I do give them opportunity and and the chance to grow and and but at the same time be nurtured and supported. So, yeah, I love yeah. that stuff. Absolutely. I'm going to ask you a bit of a cheeky question now, a bit of a naughty one. So you've described some great leaders that you've worked for, and um and the the attributes that they bring to the party, um. I'm sure there are not as many of these around, but when you look back and you think, actually, I'm never going to do it like that, what would you say are some of the things that it's kind of almost some some people are there to teach us how not to do it? Does that, <laughs> that make is sense? such a naughty question. <laughs> <laughs> it's, do you know what? Name names. <laughs> oh, don't just never underestimate the impact you can have on somebody and it's the smallest of things like I don't need a lot but I do need a thank you now and again or a well done that's all I need and there's been people in my career that haven't done even the most basic of common decency yeah it's so important isn't it yeah there's one of um, one of the, the people in my career who continues to, to inspire me. Um, was I, a chap I worked with when I worked for the Royal Bank, and one of his expressions that stays with me, and and you know I really kind of uh, use it in my own career so often, is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, and this guy is a really successful person in his career. You know, he's commercially savvy, you know, strength to strength and held some really senior positions, private and public sector. But that is his ethos. It's what he's built everything on. And, and to me, that's one of the things that you are so excellent at, exceptional at being able to demonstrate how much you care about people. Um, and that's just a key part of, I think, your your leadership style. Yeah, people can see it as a weakness, you know, Nina, that that, that they see this very soft and female, I guess, exterior, and it and it can it can appear weak, and it's far from it. I am probably um, tougher than old boots. Well, I know I am, and anyone 
anyone that you talk to says wow how do you keep going certainly I've through some of the more difficult times I've I've had to dig deep that's one of my most favorite sayings my team get fed up of me saying it but um yeah you have to have a word with yourself and yeah get back on it's um I think it, it it's laughable, isn't it when we call them soft skills because yeah. they're anything but that because they are actually for me they are the core to amazing leadership that ability to be kind to people, to care about people and to, to look after them, but also to know, because there's a, there's a line, isn't there, that says, right, no, hang on a minute, you're yeah. it now. So we need to just rein it back in and let's kind of yeah. on what we're here to do. Yeah. So I've shared one of my favourite quotes with you, with you there, kind of one of my um, rules to live by. Have you got um, a quote, Catherine, that you can share with us that, um, that kind of maybe sums up your ethos or something that you go back to and remind yourself about when it gets a bit tough? Yeah, so there's probably a couple. I'll leave you, I'll leave you with a couple if that's all right. Um, one of my favourite customer service books is, is by um, Walt Disney, Be Our Guest. And, and in, in that, um, Walt Disney says, do what you do so well they'll want to see it again and bring their friends and for me I preach about consistency when I talk to my team about service and and that epitomizes everything about you know doing it well but doing it well every single time so that so I do go back to that now and again um and my team have this um they get fed up of me and me and me inspirational <laughs> they've actually they've actually done a chart um, like a canvas in the office of Cobb's Cobb's sayings if you will um but for me it's about I say to them feedback is a gift yeah. um it's about how we all learn we're learning every day and you know both giving feedback and, and asking for feedback is super important and try and live by that and, and lead by that so and then I say to my children every day, be the best you can be. So that would be my family, my family quote. So, yeah, yeah. that's brilliant. Thank you for that. Um, every time I spend time with you, whatever we're talking about and whatever we're doing, I end up with an achy feeling in my cheek. <laughs> smiling so much you are you just you just bring joy Catherine I love spending time with you and I think the way that you approach life and you the way you approach your role um is it, I know that you inspire lots of other people because they've told me that you've got an amazing reputation amongst your team um, and I'm really really grateful to you for agreeing to take part in the intuitive insights podcast you're very welcome thank you for asking me yeah, you would be absolutely you were first on the list um, and I really do appreciate you making the time to do it so thank you um, we will be in touch of course but in the meantime thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your insights and your brilliant quotes I love them the Walt Disney ones giving me goosebumps yes yeah. um, thanks thank you, thank you. My huge thanks to Catherine for joining us on the very first episode of Intuitive Insights. My next guest in two weeks' time is Neil Grabham, Customer Experience Director from East Midlands Railway. I'm looking forward to hearing what Neil has to say on the subject of his career, his thoughts on the industry 
and his own personal inspirations. Please do join us.